Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. So I want to talk about how I think the U.S. debt is going straight to $100 trillion. Let's first go over to a chart of the current United States debt. And I'm sure you guys have seen this many, many times. Uh, We are at a point where it is going parabolic. And the first thing I want you to notice is what happens every single time we get a, uh, a significant recession, or at least over the last, call it 20, 30 years. Well, you know that you've been watching the videos. You guys know this, right? The federal government comes out and spends like a drunken sailor. The federal, uh, the, uh, federal Reserve comes out, helps them any way they can. And so every single time we get this uh, crisis situation, let's say, they, the deficits go straight up. Okay. But they don't just go straight up. They, they go up at a steeper angle if we're looking at this chart, right? So let's go back here to the GFC and look at the increase. So let's just say that uh, we take a, we'll call it a three-year span. So we start here at 2008. So to start, we're at 9.4. And then three years later, call it 2011, we're around 14, we'll just call it 14.4 to make the math easy. So $5 trillion. So we start at nine. So this is an increase of, call it, um, let's see, 5 trillion, about 50% or so. So 50% increase. Okay. Uh, that is massive, right? But now we see that this is going up at, at a faster rate due to this recession. So now we have just within the matter of, Two quarters, <laughs> two quarters. It goes up by, let's see, 23.2. We go up to, call it 26.2. It goes up a trillion dollars a quarter, a trillion dollars a quarter. And look at the pace we're on. I mean, I'd have to do the, the back of the napkin math to come up with the percentage increase. But right now, let's say we start at 23. Now we're at basically 31. And mind you, we've had the debt ceiling. <laughs> so if we didn't have the debt ceiling, we'd probably be at 33 right now, which would be called 10 trillion. But you know, who's counting a trillion there, a trillion there at the end of the day? <laughs> oh, so we start around 23. We go up 10 trillion. Oh, so wow. A little bit, oh, but this only goes to Q4 of 2022. I was going to say, man, as far as a percentage increase, it might have been even slightly lower. I was going to give the government some kudos there. But, of course, we're only looking at two years. So if we actually looked at three years, like we did comparing apples to apples, the the amount of increase is way higher, and then the percentage increase – likely higher as well, especially if we didn't have the debt ceiling. So what's my point? I've got many points in this video. But to start, my first point is every single time we have a crisis, or at least lately, we add, the deficits go up. Uh, and you could even look at the deficits as a percentage of GDP. I mean, right now, we're supposed to have this booming economy, right? Oh, my gosh, the economy's on fire. Look at the unemployment rate, 3.5%. Okay, great. Let's just analyze that for a moment. 
the deficit has gone up by $10 trillion. $10 trillion, let's say, over the last three years. And unemployment is the lowest level that we have seen going all the way back to 1969. So what happens if unemployment goes up to 5%? What happens if it goes up to 10%? Okay, tax receipts go down. There's a lot. Of, and then the government's going to come with a, a uh, um, we'll call it a monetary fire hose. I hate to use that term because that implies money printing and all that other stuff, but M2 definitely uh, would go up. Uh, let's focus on the deficit spending. So the T-bill issuance, the treasury issuance would just go parabolic, right? Just like this chart. So this is the first reason why if we go out, let's just say even, uh, I don't even think you'd have to go 10 years. I think if you go five years, I mean, it sounds crazy to say that, but you know, I remember maybe the second or third time I interviewed Luke Groman. This was back in 20, may have been 2020 or so. And the Fed's balance sheet at the time, I think was around four or five trillion. I, I can't remember right off the top of my head. But I remember we were making a joke that, yeah, the, the Fed's balance sheet is going to 10 trillion. Like, ah, <laughs> that'll never happen. But, uh, you know, it's like, like laugh, 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 ha, ha, ha. <laughs> two years later, didn't get up to 10, but what did it get up to? Like nine and some change. So every, I mean, this is pretty much the rule of thumb now. Every single time you look at something and it seems outlandish, you need to make it 10 times more outlandish. And that's most likely reality when it comes to, you know, how things play out or a prediction. So, it, it, I mean, it's called five years. So that would be the uh, debt increasing, I call it 10, 12 trillion per year. I mean, right now we've done 10, 12 trillion over the last three years. But if we get a, another GFC 2.0, I mean, the debt would go from, I mean, we've gone from 23 to call it 33, or very close to it if we didn't have the, the debt ceiling. In the matter of, of, of three years, so if we have another GFC, which is basically what the yield curve is predicting, I mean, is it crazy to think that it would go up by another 15, 20 trillion? I mean, we could be at 15 trillion by the end of 2024. As I say 15, I meant 50, 50 trillion by the end of 2024. And then we've got four years to tack on another 50 trillion, which call it 10, 12 trillion a year. And you combine this, understand this is nominal, this is nominal. So you combine this with the fact that if we have significant inflation like the 1940s, I mean, it would not be hard to get to 100 trillion at all. Now, let me give you another. Now, this is just tip the iceberg stuff. This is basic. Like everyone can understand this. Okay, now let's dive deeper. The next argument that I would give you is going back to 1944, Bretton Woods. And back then, this guy named Triffin came out with a dilemma or a paradox. And he said, fine, go ahead and give the United States the world reserve currency. But if you do that, keep in mind, the United States government is going to be in a very tough predicament, a dilemma, a paradox. <laughs> and meaning that the dollar, since it's now reserve status, is going to be utilized by more and more countries, growing economies. Well, who's going to provide those dollars? Well, that would be the United States government. Well, how are they going to do that? Well, they're going to have to run massive trade deficits. 
how are they going to do that? They got to wipe out manufacturing. They've got to run these. Uh, why do they have to run these deficits? Because they have to export a lot of dollars. And that means they have to import a lot of stuff. So then the manufacturing base dwindles to the point where we have it today. So the paradox is the government has to decide, do we do what's best for the entire world, the global economy? And therefore, obviously, we're going to reap some benefits from that. Or do we just focus and do what's right for the domestic economy and the global economy pretty much be damned? And so what we did is we decided to just do what's best for the global economy. And I think that was kind of the path of least resistance for the politicians as well, because now they can spend and buy all these votes. And there you, there the, we go from a, a country, the biggest creditor nation, to the biggest debtor nation, as Jim Rogers points out all the time, to the point now where we're running $100 billion trade deficits per month, per month. For heaven's sakes. At least the last time I looked, I don't know where it is now, but it was right around there. I think what's interesting now, if you look at this through the lens of how the global monetary system works, you come to some conclusions to where you could easily land on $100 trillion. So we have to back up and say, all right, prior to the GFC, how what were the underpinnings for the foundation? for the global monetary system. How was the dollar liquidity created? How did this how did this engine work? Well, you guys know from watching my videos, first and foremost, it was trust. That's it. Because money, the way we think of money, really doesn't exist. You got the green pieces of paper. Granted, those exist. But 99% of the dollars out there are just commercial bank liabilities that were lent into existence. So all it is is just... a it's a ledger. It just keeps track of, uh, it's like a scoring system. It keeps track of who owes who what. And so it's like, I always call it, it's, I always say it's like time that it doesn't exist, but you can just keep track of it. Just like the banks keep track of that ledger that say supposedly how much money you do or don't have. And so since you now have this Euro dollar system that is, doesn't use bank reserves, it doesn't use green pieces of paper. So how are they settling these transactions that are going back and forth between bank and bank, country and country? Why would a bank take a liability from another bank? Well, it boils down to trust. I can go over the mechanics on a whiteboard and show you how it works. But the bottom line is trust. It's all that's there. In fact, you look at the dollar as of right now, like time. It's a thought abstraction. It says we all agree that for some reason, whatever is on the bank's ledger has purchasing power. And since we all collectively agree on that, well, then it does. Just like we all collectively agree there's 24 hours in a day. The first thing that underpins the global monetary system, first and foremost by a long shot, would be trust. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro 
economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So how would you break that trust? Well, that would be risk. If the risk increases, the trust decreases. That makes a lot of sense. So then as risk increases, you can paper over that trust. How? Collateral. So let's say that uh, I'm going to, you're going to lend your, your, your buddy from high school or whatever. You're going to lend him a uh, thousand bucks. And let's say that you trust him. You know, you're going to get paid back. All right. You don't really need much collateral there. No problem. But let's say that you've got another buddy from high school that's a deadbeat. And you know he's not going to pay you back. But he says, listen, if you give me a thousand bucks, I'll give you uh, something as collateral. I'll give you my this watch, let's say, that's worth $1,500 or a thousand bucks, whatever. Then you're like, okay, I don't really trust this guy, but heck, I'm getting some great collateral. So I'll go ahead and do the deal. So this is literally how the global monetary system works. And then in 2008, what happened? You had this much collateral. And it went down to that much collateral because mortgage-backed securities one day were 100 cents on the dollar. Everyone thought those were, quote, unquote, safe, money good. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, holy cow. Now, all of a sudden, they're 50 cents on the dollar. And everyone's panicking and freaking out because the entire monetary system now has half as much collateral as it had you know, a few days ago. Obviously, I'm using a few days. This happened over the span of months. So then... Now what we have, or then what we transitioned into, is this environment where the trust is going down. The counterparty risk is going up. If you need any proof of this, all you have to do is look at the amount of bank reserves in the system prior to 2007. We had about $40 billion, with a B. But yet, M2 money supply was $7.5 trillion. How? How does that work? And by the way, that's just in the United States. Think about how many trillions of dollars were offshore in 2007. I mean, I don't know what it would be. I I think now there's over $100 trillion. So back then, let's assume for the sake of this video that there's $50 trillion, but yet $40 billion in bank reserves. How does that work? The answer is easy. Because banks were settling without using reserves. They were settling without using cash. How could they do that? Because they trusted each other. And there was sufficient collateral. Okay, fast forward to what we have today, where pretty much the only collateral in the game is treasuries, T-bills. And you have the global economy on edge, very shaky, right? We know the yield curve, Germany already in recession, Sweden probably getting there, the United States most likely will be there over the next about six months, year, something like that. And it's, it's, the probability is very high that this recession is significant, maybe even a global depression. Okay, well, if that's going to play out, and I would assume for most of you that's your base case, well, what happens to risk? It skyrockets. Okay, well, there's an inverse relationship with trust, so trust plummets. So then what happens to the, what happens 
as far as demand for collateral to get that dollar liquidity. It goes straight up. So what's interesting is we have gone from a Triffin's dilemma to with the dollar to a Triffin's dilemma 2.0 with treasuries. So now the government's in the exact same position. What do you do? The global monetary system is going to need more and more and more and more and more of these treasuries for collateral. And that means that we're the only way we can produce those treasuries is if we run bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger trade deficits, or excuse me, budget deficits. And what happens if they run bigger budget deficits? This line right here on the chart goes higher and higher and higher and gets steeper and steeper and steeper. And the more likely a recession is, the more likely that this actually plays out. So number one, we started with the basic version of it with this chart. And then it just increases every time we have a crisis. And if you add inflation, you can see how we could get to 100 trillion in five years, definitely within 10 years. But then we take it to the next step. We add a little complexity and we say, okay, well, now we've got this Triffin's Dilemma 2.0. But this time it's with treasuries instead of just dollars. So we know what the government did with the first Triffin's Paradox. They took the path of least resistance. And this gives them the opportunity to buy more and more votes. So why would they not do the exact same thing today? In my opinion is my opinion is they they would. In fact, the politicians today I think are even more likely to do it than the politicians of yesteryear. That's not all. Now let's add another layer of complexity. I had a conversation last night over the phone with Mike Green. Most of you know him, one of the smartest guys I know, and uh, I have learned a lot from Mike and guys like him and Chris Cole and uh, Jeff Snyder, as most of us have. And one of the concepts that Mike was talking about when, I, when I were, we were discussing this over the phone is supply creates its own demand. You got to think about that one, don't you? But the example that he was giving me was actually, he was referencing the last whiteboard video that I did. Uh, and he said, George, in this whiteboard video, you talked about T-bills going up to 6% as far as the interest rate. And I said, yeah, Mike, that was just kind of the concept so people would understand that if there's a, a big enough delta between reverse repo and what you can get a T-bill, those money market fund managers are going to take that cash out of reverse repo to buy the T-bills. And therefore, that's going to put a, a cap on it as far as the yield. And most likely, they would beat the uh, non-bank entities to the punch and therefore the reserve amounts with the commercial banks really wouldn't change much. He said, yeah, I get that. He said, but another concept is let's just say that it did, uh, that, that uh, Janet Yellen issues all of these T-bills that we've been talking about, that we've been hearing about in the news. So a hundred, excuse me, a trillion dollars worth of T-bills, just this deluge of supply hitting the market. So you guys know there's an inverse relationship between the yield and the price. So if we have all this additional supply, all is being equal, you know, let's forget about reverse repo for a moment. Then what would you expect to happen with these bills? Well, the yield would go up. Okay, well, if the yield in treasuries is going up to a certain degree, even at the front end of the curve, that is going to trickle through the economy. And that's not going to make things better. That's going to make things much, much worse. Now, if that makes the economy worse, what happens to risk goes up. 
What happens to trust? Goes down. What happens to the need, the demand for collateral if risk is going up? Goes up as well. So Mike's point, and it's a very interesting thought experiment, was if you create a, a massive amount of these treasuries and just dump them on the market, that supply is going to create demand because it's going to de deteriorate. It's, it's going to uh, create, how can I even say this? Because if you take that supply, if you dump it onto the market, that's going to create so many problems. I guess that's the easiest way of saying it. It's going to create so many issues that that's going to increase because of the interest rates going up, right? So that means that those interest rates at the front end of the curve with these T-bills go way higher than Fed funds. So it's almost like Jerome Powell taking rates, Fed funds, from 5% just straight up to 6%. So what's really weird and what's interesting is that Janet Yellen is almost in a position where she could say, okay, Jerome Powell, I don't think you're raising rates enough. I'm going to go ahead and dump all these T-bills. Then rates are going to go up, and you can play around with your Fed, your stupid little Fed funds all, <laughs> all day long. And I'm just going to keep, I mean, I'm not saying that she's going to do that. But I'm saying, you know, theoretically, she probably could. So think about the damage that would happen and the increase in risk if Jerome Powell just comes out tomorrow and says, yeah, oh, by the way, I'm not only going to raise, I'm going to raise by 100 basis points. What would these regional banks do? What would happen to commercial real estate? Therefore, what would happen to the banking system? What would happen to risk? What would happen to trust? You see, and that was Mike's idea, or that's what he was trying to communicate to me, is that the rates likely would never go to 6% because that much supply would create that much demand, if not more, for whatever Janet Yellen was supplying. Okay, well, if we can see this environment where supply creates demand, you see where I'm going with this, right? It's a feedback loop. The more supply that hits the market, the more it destroys the economy. The more it destroys the economy, the more demand it is for those treasuries. So once the government gets a, a whiff of this, <laughs> not that they could understand it, but let's assume that they could, you're telling me you don't think they'd come out with a green new deal? You don't think we'd have UBI? They'd do everything. Why not just take the tax rate down to zero and just do UBI? And we've got AI we can all rely on right now. We're going to have to do this at some point in time. Why don't we just bite the bullet right now and just forgive all student debt and just give everyone $2,000 a month just for voting for Joe Biden? Why don't we just pay everyone's rent? Why don't we just, you, you see where I'm going with this, right? If there's limitless demand for treasuries at the front end of the curve, the government is going to utilize that by deficit spending even more than they have over the last three years. And you could see how that could take us straight to $100 trillion in debt. All right, guys, as always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. If you didn't follow everything I was talking about, going to do a whiteboard on it tomorrow. So make sure you stay tuned to the George Gammon channel. I'll see you on the next video.